You're now listening to Your Real Money Stories podcast. Like a lot of life changes happen. So the last three jobs I actually lost. So I lost them. I had lost a family member and I was in a car accident and I lost a few friends. I just took many L's in 2017. Those all played a seed. So by the time I reached the next year, which was 2018, like it was enough to just kind of push me to do this. Hi guys, I'm Ashley. I'm Eve. And I'm Nick. And we are The Money Medics. And we're your hosts of Your Real Money Stories. An original podcast series brought to you in association with Zopa. The podcast where we'll be giving you the unfiltered truth about money through anonymous confessions and unfiltered opinions. As well as providing useful information and resources for each topic we discuss. And we have to say, this isn't financial advice. These are just our views. So today we'll be talking about what it takes to quit your stable corporate career to follow your passions, including the financial costs and the sacrifices that are involved. So we've all heard of many success stories such as Emily Sanday, who's a UK singer, but she was a doctor first. And even people like John Legend, who a lot of people don't know, you know, we only realised today actually, that he was a strategy consultant at BCG before he became a famous singer. The only thing is that we tend not to really hear about the struggles that they experienced and the sacrifices that they made to get there. So that's what we'll be talking about today. So as per usual, we have three sections to the podcast. First, we'll hear a personal story from our anonymous guest. Then we'll discuss our own opinions. And then at the end, we have some very useful tips and resources. So today we have Precious Lawson, as per usual, that is not her real name, but thank you so much, Precious, for joining us today. How's the day been in general? Well, today has been actually absolutely really, really laid back. Hopefully we don't, um, you know, stress you out too much of this podcast. We want you to still be able to enjoy your laid back day at the end of this. So let's go straight into the question. So what was your corporate profession and what made you decide to initially pursue this career? So previously I was an accountant so I did management accounting, financial accounting and I was quite qualified with ACCA before I left accounting. I see okay so how did you get into accounting? What what was the deciding factor? So In sixth form, my father was like, well, I know you like to be creative, but you also like money, so you should do something stable like accounting. And so I, you know, applied for the accounting and finance course at university. And yeah, that's kind of what I did. At the time, I didn't want to be like a creative in terms of study, I, I didn't see the need to study it. I thought people just did different routes in order to become creative. So that's why I didn't really opt for anything like acting related in terms of studying it. Yeah, it made sense at the time. So why do you feel like your parents, I know you did mention that your parents feel as though you like money, but were there any other reasons why your parents um, pushed you more towards a corporate career rather than the other side which is more like a creative career so despite 
that's how I sound. I'm actually from an African background. And so because I'm Nigerian, it's very unlikely at the time that they would have encouraged me to be, you know, an actor because it's just not realistic. But ironically, they did take, like, when I was much younger, they did take me to, like, after-school clubs where, you know, you dance and you act and you sing. They actually encouraged it as a child for the activity purposes, I suppose. But in terms of career, that just was far-fetched, I think, as far as they were concerned. And so I didn't, I actually didn't know it was actually realistic myself for that to be a career, to be honest both from my upbringing and also what I didn't see. I didn't see enough to know that it was possible anyway. So I guess I also collaborated with that perception and so didn't pursue it on a bigger scale outside of, like I said, after school clubs. That's actually really true as in there are many cultures whereby the thought of doing anything that's not corporate. So you have to go into the sciences engineering accounts etc the thought of doing anything that's not one of those is a bit of a bit (laughs) far-fetched so I completely I completely understand in that sense so so what about your um parents background if you don't mind us asking so did they have um corporate jobs too did they you know have experience in that field and that's part of the reason why they encourage you to do so what was their background like so everybody else in my family has a medical background. So my dad is a OT specialist. And my mom is a GP lead for health visitors. So my sister's studying medicine and then my youngest sister actually wants to get into more, um, I don't know the term for it, but it's like administrating beauty and non-surgical work basically doing Botox and stuff on people so that's kind of what she wants to get into and she's currently trying to work her way that way towards that field so I'm actually an anomaly in terms of background because I did like you know finance whilst they're all like into medicine or just working with NHS Hmm. so what made you not want to be in the medical um background I'm quite curious about that I didn't actually have a specific enjoyment towards it and I wasn't inclined to it in terms of academically. So it wasn't, I didn't feel in a desire for it. And I only really noticed that everybody else is medical now because my sisters are younger than me. So it was just my parents that were med- were in that field before. What was your first job um, out of like fresh out of university? And um, do you remember how much they paid you that, at that point? I was going to say my first job was this graduate scheme, but then I remember that. I did do something quite dodgy just before that. I wasn't dodgy. It was the company I worked for. So I worked with like um, this sort of non-regulated form of tr- um, investing called binary options. They're only regulated in Malta. And it was 100% commission. It was just an unrealistic job that I had no business being in. But that's technically the first thing I did because I just remember applying for a lot of finance roles and I came across that role and I thought it was a proper job and I realised they were just using me to get information from family and friends to get them to trade binary options so I did that first technically but my my graduate scheme was actually um the first job that I actually really considered it's actually on my CV yeah it was a graduate scheme it wasn't the the best if I'm being honest in terms of organisation but it was still quite a good experience nevertheless I was working mainly in 
global shared services. But when I first started, I worked with group finance. Um, we did a bit of training in India, which was great for about three weeks. I actually left that job after two and a half years because I really wanted other experience. So I think within six weeks, I found something with better pay. I really enjoyed the people there, but we just worked really long hours. I would have nightmares that I would be there till the next day during year end. So I was dreaming about this job. And that's when I realised, maybe this is a bit too much. I didn't hate, okay, I hated the hours, but I didn't hate the company. But someone, not just someone, someone I know, he went to my sixth form, he was a recruiter, he headhunted me. So he kind of rescued me out of the job. I have to ask, so like, as you're like, you're going through some of these jobs, what was the pay like from that incentivised you to keep on moving? What was like, if you had to give like a rough banding, like what was your starting for the initial grad role and then the next role or just so people have kind of context in terms of how much each role was when you move from one place to another um so my graduate role was in line with the average graduate scheme at the time for london that's what it was in line with and it increased by 5k a year um, not a month, but 5k a year each time I moved. So it was enough to keep me going in terms of moving. As you heard before, I was motivated by money, but not motivated by money enough to work in a commission-based environment such as sales. However, when I switched to the next company, they paid 5k more. They had different expectations, so they, they had quite a lot of expectations. It wasn't as exciting as what I would like it to be. You know, what was the turning point that made you realise, actually, do you know what, I think I want to leave the financial world and kind of pursue a more creative route? Yeah, so for me, like, just to, like, have a disclaimer, I didn't have, like, an epiphany and say, I'm going to leave accounting and then become an actor. That, that, that really wasn't the situation. What it was is that I've always liked acting. I've always liked performing arts. I just didn't know it was possible to be an actor full-time of course you see people on tv so it's possible i didn't know it's possible for myself for my situation for you know i just didn't know that was a thing so that's just important to know because i feel like although i started acting full-time in june 2018 i feel like it's always been inside of me i just wasn't doing it but i remember in the one where i would get nightmares um i remember just kind of doing some journals during month end and just thinking to myself like i don't do this for the rest of my life like, I don't want to be on Excel forever. I really want to be an actor. But I didn't know what that meant. So I just kind of had that thought in my head. And then, like, a lot of life changes happened. So the last three jobs I actually lost. So I lost them. I had lost a family member. And I was in a car accident. And I lost a few friends. And I just took many L's in 2017. Those all played a seed. So by the time I reached the next year, which was 2018... Like it was enough to just kind of push me to do this. But if I just backtrack a bit, 2017 was quite iconic because I turned 25 that year. And the first six months were lit. But like after August, it was just kind of downhill. I remember ending the year like thinking, okay, if you do want to do acting, like let's make it make sense. So my actual genuine agenda was to do accounting part-time and acting part-time. When the January 2018 commenced, like, that was my focus. I was applying for specifically part-time roles or I would compromise by maybe applying for contracting roles, but very short contracts, like 
maybe maternity covers or nine months, six months. But I, in my head, I was like, since we don't want to commit fully to finance, but we do like money, we like stability, we like to feel comfortable. I was, I was risk adverse at the time. I would never trade or anything or invest in any type of things such as stocks. Like I was just very risk adverse. I liked a safety net. So that was my agenda. That was my focus. And it never really happened for me in that way. I didn't actually get a single part-time role. And in the end, the same recruiter from before came and dangled another role in my face. And it was full-time. Yeah, so when that ended, I remember saying to myself, right, I'm going to do, do what I love now. Like, I'm just going to do what I love now. When you did decide to leave your corporate job completely and, p- and pursue acting, so did you have any, like, savings? Did you have any, like, safety mechanisms? Like, what, what did you have in your backpack in order for you to like fall back on just in case of anything because that's why I always say that I never kind of had this bold moment of leaving I I lost these jobs I didn't have choice I would say that I was trying to save up for a house like people do who work in finance I lived a really good financially sound life in those days because I you know like I said I was quite good with savings and I knew how to enjoy myself and so I felt pretty okay. I wasn't trying to project into the future. I remember that day when when I walked out of Holborn and I was just walking and I was just, you know, I took some weird route on the bus. I don't have a reason to take the bus because the station's around the corner, but I just took the bus to Shoreditch and I was just like, this is a great day. Like, (laughs) I just lost my job, by the way, but I was like, this is a great day. Didn't have, like, an actual plan, but I wasn't worried. Okay, so... Because you were living at home, you had little, relatively little expenses and you had a lot of savings at the time. So that was a good, like, fallback, basically, which is which is a good place to find yourself in. So what about your first acting role? Do you remember how you got that, what you had to do to pursue that and, and what that was about? So, yeah, in terms of those days, it was quite early on. A lot of stuff weren't really paid like that. There were, like, maybe expenses. In fact, there was even one that wasn't even expenses, so you was probably taking a loss traveling to rehearsals like i remember doing like a small commercial for a institution so it wasn't for it wasn't for commercial purposes and that paid a little bit i think it was like a hundred so what just so that i know what are some of the like different platforms people can apply to if like you're you're starting out as an actor can can you name a few yes so when i started out i did use star now and mandy a lot but um, as time has gone on, I don't really use them anymore. The main one is Spotlight, which is really good for actual higher-end work, which would usually go through an agent. However, there are some maybe lower stuff, such as like internet-based stuff. There's just different stuff that even if you don't have an agent, you might still see some jobs. But it is mainly useful if you have not just an agent but a very good one because they're the ones that seal the good stuff there's so many agents i feel like anybody can get an agent now um, I, th- I think getting the good one is what's it's a good question but to get an agent i think you just need to like to tell them like just google agents and then they come up and then you just email them and i'm sure somebody will pick you <laughs> but <laughs> that's probably not the best advice to give because i remember getting an agent without even a headshot uh, but they weren't very good so that's like but in terms of just getting somebody who is decent. I would definitely say, you know, getting good headshots, potentially getting either a showreel or like maybe at least recording a monologue or a self-tape just so they can see something. 
certain things such as like theatre and invite them to come and see you. You can do like other things like short films and just other things that, again, they can physically see you at work. I see. Yeah. So lots of different ways. That's good. So just to go back a bit. So you said that the first year when you first um, went into acting, when you were first getting in, there were some jobs that were unpaid and some jobs where they paid expenses only, some jobs, you know, that were paid relatively little which is expected when you first go into a completely new new role. So in that first year overall, how much would you say you made altogether? I don't even think I can say, you know, I think, I don't think, <laughs> I think it was like, let's say 3k. Okay, not bad. For your first year, I mean, I don't know what the average is like, but for your first year, I feel like that's not too bad. I mean, some people get that. Okay, so I have a friend who's currently working on Doctor Who. And he's getting 5k a week. Is he a main main actor or is he um, an extra? He's just a guest. So, I mean, it's all relative, right? <laughs> he's not an actor. He's a writer-director. But because he's he's acted in something that he wrote and directed, he's now getting a little bit more acting work. So his first year of acting won't be the same as mine. It depends. Some people, I have friends who do a lot of commercials. And one commercial can pay, can pay about 10 grand. So I think it depends. While well, some people, they do... Like what I've done, they, they, they've done like just fringe theatre and fringe theatre sometimes it's like, it's sometimes you get paid by, not commission, but it would be equivalent to commission because you get paid maybe by profit share or you, yeah, so you're just doing like low budget stuff. But then most people like that who've done, who do what I've done in terms of that's their background, they would usually have a job because it's, it's not sustainable for most people to do this. I think I had a very specific goal, which is to do as much as possible and that was my main goal I did my goal had nothing to do with for someone who remember my dad said I like money so for someone who liked money and was money motivated money was was irrelevant for at least a good six to nine months it was all about I just loved what I did so it's all about throwing myself in there you know going to auditions booking roles booking jobs building my you know my CV my background my network and just genuinely doing what I like like genuinely that's not even just what I like what I loved I mean that's a really really positive way to look at things as well because at the end of the day you're doing what you love and you've been in in horrible companies in the past so you can probably see a big difference <laughs> in your in your overall maybe even mental health but with that first year having earned um the three thousand pounds in that first 12 months were you able, was that enough, because of um, your your living circumstances at the time, was that enough to sustain yourself or did you find yourself having to go through and go into your savings or anything like that or, or asking your parents or were you okay at the time? That's the only way I could pay my bills. My car is on is a leased car, so I have that monthly bill, period. I already knew that. It'll be okay, like, do you know what I mean? But I just, I, what was kind of more disappointing, not disappointing, but what, what I actually took a bigger L on was not having savings because I knew that my savings was for survival. Once I made the decision that the savings was available for me to use because the idea of savings is to put it away and not touch it, once mentally I, I had to unlock the fact that you actually have to use this. And also the other thing was the irre- irregularity of income. And I also want to ask, so at the time when you were first starting off did you consider using any like government benefits like going on to universal credit or job seekers or anything like that just to give yourself that extra support i had it for yeah i had it for some months okay okay so you had at least you had that as like a 
regular type of income that you had coming in to help support yourself during the really tough times so you know as a as an actor how do you how do you increase your how do you make more money how do you try and like to increase your value are there any things people can do to like kind of start raking in even more money or is there anything that you've done that you think has made a difference in your earning potential i realized that in when i just start in june i had like not much i was called i call these assets so my headshots weren't all that like my friend took them in the park and i don't know if i had the show rule so in terms of just like those type of basics which i recommended earlier that people should have it was weak like jamie you know I mean? because i wasn't an actor just yet I upgraded like my headshots, my showreel, all of that in November. And I did find that in January I did book more paid, like actual paid stuff. So I did see a direct correlation between the level of headshots and showreels that I had changing drastically. So I definitely say like going back to like your assets, such as your, the stuff that people see, cast directors see, try and make that as good as possible. That's one of the basic ways to do it. But if you've already got that in place, I would say there's so many ways you can add value. You can add value through knowledge. So I'm a craftsman. I really care about the craft because this is what I love. So I, I would always say a way to add value is to be better and to be undeniably great so that when they see you, even if you're not right for the role, you're great at what you do and that can't be denied. So I definitely in- encourage maybe doing like workshops, doing any form of training that will just make you better at what you do. Like a lot of actors have gotten into voiceover work. And I have a friend who's actually paid off all her debts using voiceover work. She's just like, she's made a lot of money, more money in voiceover than in acting. And she's been doing it for less than a year. And she's not even doing like cartoons or anything. It's like, just like, you know, ads and radio stuff. So it's not like you have to be a whole animated character for a cartoon. It's like, in terms of like adding monetary value, definitely looking at different sectors of acting such as voiceovers to um, add value um, I would say that there are other ways you can also make money such as learning a new skill if you want to if you have the time and capacity I have other actor friends who are doing really well who have like they do re- they're working as a receptionist they work in admin they work as child um not childminders as n- nannies that's quite popular, I notice. You know, like, cause I, I'm assuming you've met different actors and actresses. Is there an element of privilege needed to get into this business, you know? Or do you think um, someone can make it based on just, like, sheer work ethic? Like, sometimes, I don't know, do you need to know someone in the industry? Do you need to have certain things in place? What's... what's based on your own personal experience, because it's like someone listening to this, would you, if they had like a mortgage or a child and they wanted to pursue acting, would you say, oh, go ahead? Or do you think you think you had certain things in place that allowed you to do that? So just, just wanting to touch on that a bit. I'll say as a caveat, it's important to do what you truly believe you're called to do. So there's like, I think inside of us, deep down, I think deep, deep down, we know what it is we love. We may not know the how, but we know deep down like what it is that just makes us feel like we're in purpose and we're in just doing what we're made for. So I think that's important to connect to and understand. And if that's the case, then I would say, irrespective of your circumstances, 
weigh that up against what you're doing now does does doing that and how that makes you feel does that supersede your your circumstances if it doesn't i say go for it but if some people are very willing to put aside what they love in order to have the safety that they love you know there are people who are like yeah i'd love to be i don't know i need to think of something fast um a fashion designer i'd love to be a fashion designer or i love to do interior design or i'd love to do um styling but like i am really good money as a lawyer so i'm not doing that like i've heard people say that with their mouth like what i have now and what i earn now is giving me a lifestyle that i love more than my passion for styling and you know i looked at a role for styling and it's like the same money that i would get as a retail worker i'm not going to do that do you know what I mean so you just have to weigh up i can't say because you have a mortgage and children you shouldn't become an actor that that's not the issue here i think the issue is what is important in your heart is it important to pursue what you love and therefore are you willing to to go through those sacrifices or is you know the lifestyle that you have that feeds your family and, feed, and pays your mortgage is that more what you love than what's in your heart but outside of that once you've kind of answered that question i would say yes and no to privilege because but on one hand you do have loads of certain people from a certain demographic who just have like a pathway set for them because their daddy is a director or do you mean it just it is what it is or they they just they just have this most people don't necessarily ask for the privilege some people are just born with it it's not really their fault on another hand there are people who were minded their own business and got got invited to audition for something and they got the job and now they're on six figures an example of that is some people from top boy some people from top boy are trained actors but some people weren't they were just street casting street castings when People go into communities and they go into certain, certain spaces to find an authentic um, version of the characters that they have. And some characters, um, especially the younger ones, so the children in, in, in Top Boy, a lot of them were street casting. They weren't already professional actors. So and they earn really, Top Boy pays very well. So it's like, again, it's not necessarily about pure privilege. Um, acting is very weird in the sense that, yes, who you know definitely helps because do, people always, you know, have nepotism will always play a great factor in this world, simple as, especially in creative industries, specifically in acting. How's your attitude towards money now? You know, because I know like how you talked about when you first started, you did some unpaid work. Yeah, I'm bougie now. Oh, I am bougie. Like, I am... <laughs> so what I am now is like, so I'm not bougie, but I'm selective now. Before, like I said, I just wanted to throw myself in it to build my CV because I loved it. Now I don't need to build my CV with the same type of work. I need to build my CV with higher end work. Financially, I think, I, I don't even know who I am anymore when it comes to money because I don't have the same level of discipline. <laughs> it's not because I've earned more, well, a little bit more, but it's not because I've earned bad. It's, it's just, I don't think I'm as bound to the fear of losing money in terms of spending it. So like, I spend a lot of money on skincare. I spend a lot of money on maintenance. It's just really funny how my attitude towards certain things are different now compared to when I had money, but my expense, my disposable income is a lot lower, but my attitude is a lot more open. It's just the thing that I'm not as kind of close-minded. My attitude isn't as tight-fisted, like I was so tight-fisted with myself. Like I did go on nice holidays and whatnot, but you know, outside of that, in terms of day-to-day, my day-to-day expenditure before was tight, whilst now I, I, I don't have elaborate holidays, I have to tell the truth. I've I've done staycations on a budget, Groupon, and then another 10% because I found another voucher code. I've not been doing international babe, but on a day-to-day basis, I'm a lot more kinder to myself. I'm not so tight-fisted with myself. 
still quite you know still i'm an accountant in terms of training in terms of profession so i'm still quite budget you know i don't like spending outside my budget but i remember for my birthday i said um your gift to yourself is to not have a budget obviously i still looked for the cheapest stuff i could find naturally so in in going out with a bang um you said like you there's a particular role you landed that kind of changed your outlook well, I can display what it was, but what I can do is say that it's a Netflix role. And it's very small. I'm not being humble. It is very small. As in, I auditioned for two lines, but on the day, I doubled it and made it four lines. But I don't know what's going to be in the edited version of the scene, so who knows. But it is a it is a big, like, the production value is quite big. So my role is small, but the production value is quite decent, and... Yeah, it's so funny because I'm actually looking at my wall and I remember writing a declaration saying that I will book like a life-changing role. But at the time when I wrote that, I was thinking more like in terms of money, like, you know, I'd book six figures or something. But what changed my life about that role was my mindset, like I said. So it just opened up my mindset. It made me focus on the craft and not clout and not, you know, of course, like I said, I'm bougie now, so I'm selective and I'm, and I'm aligning myself with, you know, to earn a lot more than I've ever earned in my life. But it, it opened up a lot internally and externally. And I think that's how it changed my life. Hmm, I really enjoyed that conversation. I felt it was very um, heartfelt. And like, um, yeah, I think to me, it really showed the importance of like pursuing your dreams and just kind of making a start. And I guess that's kind of, I guess, like... You know, the kind of, you know, it was my birthday recently. I was thinking, hmm, what am I doing with my life, you know? So, yeah, it's, it's, it's put me in quite a reflective mood. So, yeah, very, a lot of food for thought for myself. But, you know, don't want to get too soppy on you guys. So, <laughs> I'm just going to move um, to the questions. So, would you ever quit your job to pursue your dream passion slash passion? So, okay, what would you do? Would you quit your job cold turkey to pursue your dream slash passion or would you go part-time whilst pursuing it? I think I'd probably go part-time. Where I am in my life, I can't go cold turkey. I just can't afford to do that. After being unemployed for a bit, I can't, you know. I'm going to be 30 in October. Yeah, so, yeah, I can't where I am in my life. I couldn't afford, I don't have the privilege or couldn't afford to make that shift. I've got a mortgage, I'm married, I've got so many other responsibilities that it's just not feasible. So even if, I'll, I'll give you an example, right? When I was when I was working at an investment bank and I was in a good position, I wanted to move into wealth management within the investment bank. And in order for me to move into wealth management, I'll need to go from a 55K, yeah, 55K per annum to like around um, 30 something grand. And because during that period I was getting married and um, I just moved into this place, it just wasn't feasible. Like, because of, of where I was in my life. So, yeah, I think... For me, I couldn't do it. What, what about you guys? Mm, I think I'm the same. Not that I have any responsibilities, if I have to be really honest with you, but 
I think that whole thing around financial instability, it can just give you sleepless nights if you're not careful. Yeah, I'd rather go part time until, you know, I get there. And why have one income when I can have two? So I'll try and work at both of them as much as possible until, you know, the other one is making so much money that it's not making sense for me to continue with the original job. So that's what I would do. What about you, Eve? Um, I think for me, because this is actually something that we've been talking about recently. So um, I always have periods in my life where I have to stop working for whatever reason. And what I've done now is that I've saved up, well, I plan to save up at least a year's worth of expenses because I suspect that I'm going to have another period where I need to stop working for particular reasons. And then within that time where I'm going to stop working, seeing as, I, as, as I'm planning to save up that much money, I'm thinking, okay, let me just try, seeing as I'm going to have a relative amount of spare time, let me try and pursue other passions and, and see what happens because I've got this this income um, that I can fall back on. And then cause, because of the nature of my job, if I do want to go back into my career um, when I'm able to, then I'll just go back into my career. So... <laughs> usually I'll say no but at the same time sometimes you know you can only really afford to do these things at particular points in your life so like you know when you have no responsibilities no children etc these are times that where you're if you did want to pursue something now might be a good time to do it just so you know that you don't regret it in the future but just always have a backup plan and always have lots and lots and lots of cash to fall back on. Well, well said. Uh, you know, I, I think the only thing I'll, I'll have to add on to that, I find it quite unfair that because both of you guys are pharmacists, you can low-term pursue part-time work, whereby when you're in corporate, it's either kind of all or nothing, unless you're quite senior and you do consultancy work. I don't really have the luxury of... Um, pursuing something part-time without taking like a massive hit to my earnings because even like with other creatives or journalists they can do freelance and it's, it's quite possible so yeah I did yeah I guess that's part and parcel of, of the role but yeah I think just to kind of round up with some quick tips um, I think the most important thing is um, how you approach shifting from your salaried income to your passion is really based on where you are in your life, in your 20s, 30s, or 40s, you know? I think if you kind of have to visualize visualize it in your mind, kind of asking yourself really fundamental questions when you're make, about to make a career shift, can you pay your bills and your expenses? Does it make you fulfilled? And by making that decision, will you completely derail your life completely? I think that personally, personally I see that as a filter to decide whether or not to make that switch or not and then um, try to prepare yourself um, financially and also realizing that it is a privilege and when I say it's a privilege that means you need to really work your ass off if you're about to make that change and don't think it's going to come easy so even if it means you may have to work for free initially or you may have to take certain jobs you don't like that's part of parcel of making the decision And as we kind of mentioned a little bit, it's okay to take little steps instead of just taking one big one. So that little step could be going part-time. That little step could be waking up a bit earlier or a bit later to work on that particular thing, you know? Um, And as a guiding post, you know, I know everyone bangs on about emergency fund, et cetera, but I think it's realizing, depending on where you are in your life, 
the standard emergency fund fund may not be enough. So if you have a child, it may may mean you need a year's worth of money. If you have more than one child, or you ha- you have your parents to look after, you may you may you may need two to three years of your income. You know, and it's also kind of as a final tip, realizing that you need to make lifestyle cuts. You know, because the worst thing that can happen is that you don't make the cuts you need, and you end up making a rash decision and going back to the to the job because you can't sustain your lifestyle. So yeah, I think it's been quite an interesting conversation. You know, what it takes to become an actor that you see on Netflix, you see on Amazon and all these uh, other studios, you know, there's so many people coming up, Damson, there's so many different young actors, you know, so it's possible. Uh, But yeah, we hope you guys have enjoyed this episode. Signing out. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye. You've just listened to an episode of Your Real Money Stories, an original podcast brought to you in association with Zopa. Who provide great value financial products and tools to make managing your money a lot easier. So make sure you subscribe and share with your friends who you think might have related to this episode. For more information and resources around the themes discussed in this episode, head over to zopa.com forward slash podcast. And of course, if you want to be on the next episode, make sure you slide into our DMs on Instagram at moneymedics.